My friends who listen to Future Primitive, I have the honor and the feeling of tenderness and joy to be with Diana Beresford Kruger. She is a world-recognized author, a medical biochemist and botanist. She has a unique combination of Western scientific knowledge and the traditional concept of the ancient world. Told she was the lost child of ancient Ireland and to one day bring this knowledge to a troubled future, Beresford Kroger has done exactly that. Her bioplan is an ambitious plan encouraging ordinary people to develop a new relationship with nature to join together to replant the global forest. Her books include The Sweetness of a Simple Life, The Global Forest, Arboretum Borealis, Arboretum America, and A Garden for Life. Diana Beresford Kroger was inducted as a Wings World Quest Fellow in 2010 She was elected as a Fellow of the Royal Geographical Society in 2011. More recently, in 2016, the Society named her one of the 25 Women Explorers of Canada. Welcome, Diana, and thank you so much for being here. It's entirely my pleasure to be here. Perhaps I would just begin by asking you... What do you mean by simplicity? Oh, to be rich in what you don't want. All right. So, I was thinking that maybe we could begin with you speaking to us. You have a, you have a chapter in the Global Forest that's called Global Warming, Global Forests Control Global Warming. And perhaps you could explain to, to us how the planet came about as a home for us and uh, what is happening right now that is putting that in danger. Can I preface it by saying for the last six years I have been doing and showing a film called Call of the Forest, The Forgotten Wisdom of Trees. And that is shortly going to be coming into the United States. Um, We have got uh, distributors, we're signing contracts for distributors to the United States and really other distributors to the rest of the world. And with that, I have put together an app, which is called calloftheforest.ca, and that app covers every single growing area on North America, and it gives you an idea of what species of trees to plant for yourself, first of all, 
And let's say, for instance, if you've had cancer in your family, you can grow certain species of trees that will stop that. If you have um, bronchitis or any diseases, you can scan down this this app called the forest.ca and it is referenced into all of medicine for those particular areas. So I can start off with that. Basically, what has happened all over the world, and we really only know it just now, and really it's only been in the past maybe eight to ten years that we realize we have taken down too much of the global forest. We never realize scientifically the importance of forests forest to the global community. We did not realize that the forests of the world are the lungs of the planet in a very definite system. We did not know that. You, Joanne, and I, and all of the people listening to us are aerobes. We require oxygen to breathe. All of us do. The great mammals do. All the fish do. We require oxygen to breathe. And we did not realize that so much of that oxygen came from the great forests of the world. And holding in their hand these, I call them green machines, the forests are extraordinary. We don't really understand how they function biochemically and how they function from a molecular point of view, but we do understand one great equation in the world, and it is called the photosynthetic reaction. In every leaf, on every tree, all over the planet, we've got the leaves of the trees working for us, spilling out oxygen. The leaves pull the photons from the sun and crack carbon dioxide into carbon and oxygen. We breathe the oxygen and the carbon gets funneled into the tree to make the tree bigger and to form more and more wood and more and more lumber. Actually, from nothing, from just straight air or atmosphere. And we didn't really realize that that was that important. But of course, now we know. And now we have to stop cutting down all of the mature, great, ancient forests of the world and start replanting the forests. Because if we can do that, then we do something else. We can sequester carbon out of the atmosphere, carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere, back into the trees and pull the carbon dioxide down from the 400 parts per million level into the 300 parts per million level, and that buys us time for climate change. That buys us time to be inventive. It buys us time to be to do extraordinary things like finish the quantum computers, finish the design, redesigning all of the things that we need for this planet. And it also shows a symbol of respect for the great nature, world of nature we have around us that we've kind of forgotten about. But it will also make us be very aware of who we are and that we are part of the great web of life on this planet. And that's really all we have to do. And it will be a lot of fun. 
to replant trees, to plant trees, for each of us to plant trees. and an acorn. That's beautiful. So, somewhere in your books you say, or sorry, it was in a blog, you, uh, a little girl presented a drawing to you of a, of a sequoia and you had drawn one the week before. You, you believe, Diana, that the young people will know Adriana Huffington's, um, uh, well, I think it was um, a radio show that she had done, you know, a woman who has the newspapers. Actually, she would, invite, she would like to invite me for dinner. And Adriana, if you're listening, I would like to come for dinner to your house too. <laughs> we would have a lot to talk about. <laughs> Ariana Huffington, yes. So, Ariana Huffington, you better get some tea ready for me. Oh. <laughs> anyway, anyway, that was a 
an extraordinary thing because I had done a drawing of um, of I, I do like to draw I, I do like to paint in, in in when I was a young child I I I have had a huge amount of training in art as a matter of fact scientists should always have training in art if you ask me mm-hmm. and I had drawn I had drawn I had drawn this this painting of um, a redwood into the the forefront of a book that I was preparing for media. It was a media book. And this little girly, I had done it and I had put it into the book. This little girly had shown me this painting of a tree she had done, and it was almost identical to my painting. So we both had the same dream. We both had the same imagination, and we both had the same thoughts, which was just really remarkable. So, in a sense, there are things happening. I'm a scientist, and I can say one should have facts for everything, but I don't have any facts for this common dream that is now happening all around the world. And in fact, that was prophesied by the Mohawk Nation. They said that at the time of now, that we will be able to hold hands across the world and the children will know the dream and they will take take the parents, take them aside and talk to them and mm. make sure that the world is in, in, good, in good order for the future. It's a lovely thought. Yes, beautiful. Uh, going back for a minute to one tree per person... How can we do that in cities or, you know, where people don't own the tiniest piece of land to plant a tree? Oh, that's very easy. I do believe that cities need to have city forests. And first of all, you can vote the people into place who believe that city forests have to be. We do have to have them to protect the air and to reduce the pollution factors out of the air, and also to protect against cancers within the city arena. And I believe that that forests and trees within a city is a very useful phenomenon, also for the selling of goods and services. There is a 9% increase of sales when you have trees around shops. So it's all, it's a whole good arena to think about. Then if you have a very tiny garden, then put in a tiny tree, put in an elongated kind of tree. And if you don't have a garden, then support somebody who is doing this. Support, say, some young people who are going out and wanting to find areas where they are planting. And the support of them can be very little. It can be $15 or $20 to buy a couple of trees and to make sure they have the ability to go out and plant. It's very easy. And then there is such a thing as blackmail. So if you have some friends and they're moaning and groaning that they're too lazy and they don't want to do anything, well, you invite them for tea. And then you give them a wonderful pie or cake of some kind. And over the sweetness of the cake, then you ask them to do what you want them to do. (laughs) Women are very good at that. All right. Excellent. All right. And they, in, I, did, I did something down in Fort Worth a number of years ago, not too long ago. Um, the, 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 the fathers of Fort Worth were worried. That was when George Bush was in place. 
we have this huge hall, this was Imagination Foundation, and all of the children all over Fort Worth were brought in. These are including the private schools, were brought in to me in this huge hall, and I got all the microscopes from the medical department, set them all up, and the kids came in, and they were in charge of what we were doing. It was like a pantomime for climate change. And I got the kids to bring in blankets, and I pretended that the earth was getting warmer and warmer, and I set some of them up as, as the sun, set them up as the moon, and so they were flashlighting onto the earth and increasing the heat of the earth. So we had a wonderful time for four or five days. And the mayor wanted to come in, and they threw the mayor out. They said it was too important. What they were doing was too important. <laughs> and they actually stood as barriers by the door, and the mayor was absolutely furious. But it's an idea that the children were in charge of their own future. And I asked a lot of those kids, and there were many, many hundreds and thousands of kids came through that. And I asked them, what did they think? And they had this little ghost in their head. They were all worried about the future of climate change. And indeed, they felt that the future was being stolen from them. But one thing we did that day, I gave the future back to them. Beautiful, beautiful. And together with that, Joanne, I yes. did something else, actually, just about four months after that. A friend of mine was down there in Fort Worth, and she's terribly wealthy. And um, she invited me for tea, and I went for tea, and she looked at me, and she said, oh, I know your name, Beresford, and of course, you know, I'm related to all of the Beresfords in Ireland, and, you know, the Princess Di, I'm related to her, and uh, Lord, Lord uh, Lansdowne, and you know, a whole lot of them. I, 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 from primogenitor, I didn't inherit anything because I'm a woman, remember, women don't, don't need money. I think you probably know that. Um, anyway, uh, it turned out that I was, I was, had a bucket list of all kinds of species for America, and one of them was called Petunia trifoliata crisidifolia, and I thought that species was lost. And I have spent 20 years looking for that species. It is the sacred tree of the First Nations of North America. And anyway, she owned huge amounts of land. And I said to her, well, do you own a mountain? Which is a perfectly reasonable question to ask somebody. And she did. And I said, well, is there gravel on the mountain? Yes, there was. I said, is there a height of elevation of 1,100 acres? Yes, she said yes. And actually, all of the property that she had had been gone over by a botanist from, from Boston University, and she had a herbarium of all the species on that mountain. And I said, I would be willing to bet you have got Petalia trifoliata crucidifolia. So the following March, I came down to visit her, and she has her own planes and her own jets and la la la. So she got a helicopter for me, and I was strapped into a helicopter for four days. <laughs> and I had a pair of binoculars, and I gridded over 200 miles, gridding back and forth. By God, I found the tree. The tree is under arm guard right now, and we're trying to propagate the tree. The tree holds answers for cancer. Wow. And that is your tree. That is the rarest tree in North America, Petalia trifoliata crucidifolia. And let me tell you something. I told the helicopter pilot, let me down, let me down. I think I've got the tree. So he landed, and I just, I'm a tree hugger, right? I bruised yeah. I ran over to the tree, threw my arms around it, and started bawling, crying. 
I never thought I could find it. And I found it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well. I, I am one lunatic Irish woman, let me tell you. I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> I, I want to tell you a story. When I was 20, when I was 22 years old, I took my first LSD trip and I was quite lost and confused and it was very intense. And then towards dawn, I went to the window and I looked to the tree. There was, it was in Washington, D.C., but there was this huge, huge, beautiful fir tree in front of the window. And she and I communed. And I felt she made me feel very, very safe. And she gave me reason and safety to live. And I've never forgotten that tree. Well, let me tell you about that tree. One of those trees, a fir. And it would be a fir that you said that you, you were communing with. I don't know what LSD does to you. Honestly, I don't know because my my worst LSD is, is a cup of tea. So <laughs> that's as sad as I can get. But let me tell you something what you were sensing. You see, you were raising your sensing ability, your ability to perceive into the future and to know. The fur produces alpha and beta pinene. They're very, very simple compounds. And there is an aerosol shield around the fir trees and the pine trees. And that aerosol shield of alpha and beta pinene affects your immune system. It goes onto the surface of your body and into your immune system and alters your immune system and sets up an alarm system. And what that does to your body, it gives you for 30 days through your neutrophils, through your blood system, a full protection to cancer. Wow. Yeah. And those clinical studies have been done in Japan. Those are absolute clinical studies, and they're based on forest bathing. And the head doctor, Ping Lee, in, in the Nippon Medical School, has done all of that experimentation, absolutely showing that the immune system is rigorously invoked to protection to cancer. And it is another way of handling the body. And that was what you were feeling. Wow. Yes. So would you recommend would you recommend forest bathing going into the forest and taking in Oh yes. Oh yes, absolutely. And can I can I give you visual instructions on how to do it? Yes, right. please. <laughs> you go into the forest and let's say anywhere in America on the East Coast or on the West Coast, it doesn't really matter. The West Coast probably has a higher load of pines in the, in the foliage, in the canopies of the trees, because you have a, a greater solar exposure. And the temperature to do forest bathing,
into the 90s. That is when the aerosol um, aerosol release is at its greater potential. And that is where you can breathe the greater number of aerosol molecules within the atmosphere and the greater number then by rote goes into your lungs. So your breathing apparatus is fully open. So what you do is you stand up straight, okay? So now I'm asking you to stand up very straight, mm-hmm. have your head and your your back, um, the bones in your back aligned vertically, okay? Then just like you're taking kind of almost a yawn, you take a deep breath that goes down into the lower regions of your lungs, like that. And it's the lower regions of the lungs we're aiming for to open up because it's the lower regions of the lungs that are not cleared very well in the normal daily routine. Like if you were running or doing very strong exercises, then of course your breath is much greater, your body, your lung volume is much greater, but the lower regions are what we're aiming for. So you just lollygag, walking very straight, going into an area and walk around the pines, take a stroll, take your dog, take your boyfriend, take your lover, take your friends, take anybody and go into the area of pines or fir trees or spruce trees Mostly pines are probably the better one right now for both sides of the continent. And slowly walk around for maybe 15 to 20 minutes, breathing deeply and exhaling just gently and breathing deeply. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something else too that you probably did when you were a little boy or a little girl. You kind of fiddle farted when you were a child and you'd pick up a comb and you'd pick up a bit of dead branch and you pick up, you know, some dead leaves or something like that from the ground and have it in, in your hand as a little worry piece as a child. You know, like a little toy, a worry piece toy, and you just crush it and, and just, you know, do that with it. Well, do that too, please, because the endogenous fungi within trees, within the pine trees, also is also extant in all of the cones and in the debris that falls off the trees. And if you marry it and mash it in your hand and then rub that on your arms, you get a protection to body flesh-eating diseases. And that too is a form of, really is a form of bacterium. And it is, it is something that will actually improve the ecology of the bacteria on your skin and makes your skin healthier in addition to forest bathing. Mm-hmm. And that's really all you have to do. And then you go home and that gives you a protection, the alpha and beta pinenes in the air and the limonene, the limonene compounds that are in the air. The limonene is actually used in the treatment of cancers, in actually in the protective treatment of cancers if you do get cancers. But the limonene is there for nothing. It's there for free. So it gives you a, a, a 30-day protection to cancer. I mean, who wouldn't do this? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, when you and I were little girls, your mom and my mother would say to me, oh, go out into the fresh air and play. Right. Yeah, that's, uh, that is from the ancient Celtic world on Eir Galan, 
that is what it's called in ancient Celtic world. An unair blood is go out into the heathers, walk in the heathers. And if you do walk in the heathers, you get arbutin and metal arbutin, and that does, does the same thing. So that's where fresh air comes from. Diana, I would love it if you would tell us what whatever story you feel like telling us about the Celtic world and uh, what you learn from uh, being Irish and Celtic. Well, I uh, yes, I, I would love to do that. I am. I'll tell you the direct story I was told to tell North America. When I was 11, 11, 12, my whole family were killed. And I was the last child of the O'Donoghue family. My father's name was Beresford, and they're all aristocrats in Ireland and in England. But my mother's family were O'Donoghue. And my family home, my family seat, is the Castle of Ross on the lower lake of Killarney. And the castle actually has been fixed up and built up. When I was a little girl, it only had half a roof. And it had only, you know, lots of the stones were down. And in the bottom of the castle, there was just pigs and bonnets all, you know, running around. So we're not talking kind of high elevated status when you have pigs running around the place. Anyway, I was brought to that area every single year in a pilgrimage as a child by my mother. And to a place called Ungugon Barra, which people should go to. Americans should go to Ungugon Barra. That is my family's home too. And so everybody got killed. And in the ancient world of Ireland, I was an orphan. And an orphan becomes everybody's child. So what happened to me when I was a little girl is that I was brought through the courts. And of course, I should have been put, because I was an orphan, put into the Magdalene Laundry. And the Magdalene Laundry was one of those terrible places where children were abused and sometimes even killed, raped, abused, and God knows by the Catholic Church. So the judge knew that my, my, my grandfather was Lord William Beresford. And he said to me, he called me into his chambers, and he said, I'm afraid to put you into the Magdalene Laundry because of the repercussions on me. So I was given as a single child to my uncle, who was a who was a bachelor, and he took care of me. He was a very famous hurler, and he was a bachelor. He was a chemist. And so, then what happened is that was enacted in a place called Machine in the south of Ireland. Uh-huh. Um, then the Brehan Laws. In the ancient Celts had Brehan Laws, and they're pre-Magna Carta. And according to the laws, I became everybody's child. And so I went into a Brehan wardship, and for three years, I was tutored in all the ancient ways, all the ancient thinking, all of the laws, the laws of the trees to protect me and to protect the world. And I was told I would be the last child of the ancient world of Ireland. I was the last child of the kings of Munster. And the kings of Munster were the O'Donoghue's from Ross, from the castle of Ross. And I was the last one to come out of there. And they told me there would be no more after me. And that I was to study and that I was to follow my heart and that I was to protect myself. And they showed me how to do it, protect my mind, my body and my soul, and to 
world of North America and that the world needed to know because at the time of now we would be in great trouble. They predicted that and the people who predicted were called the Fiesheen. They were the people who were the prophets of Ireland. And they told me that. And I was told all these things that are going to happen right now and maybe more. So that's the story in the sense of my life. That's why I wrote all the books. That's why I did all of the science. I just absolutely was like a sponge. I, I just learned and learned and learned and learned and learned. And this is this is the person you have in front of me right now, in front of you right now. I live simply. I I I have a huge library. I I do the things I have always done, and I practice I practice philanthropy of the mind. So when I am needed across the world, I do a lot of things pro bono. And that, in turn, really accelerates, really, the healing of the world. And that's really all I have to say, you know. <laughs> Thank you for giving yourself to us today. It's very generous of you. I'd like to ask you, you um, in the in the book, this, uh, on the cover of the book, the sweetness of simple life. You speak about tips for kinder living. Would you tell us a few tips for kinder living? Oh yes, I'd love to. Yes. First of all, on your day, in your day, what you do in your day is you smile. You have good wishes for people around you, and you smile at them. And you smile from your heart. You don't smile because you think you have to. You smile because you should do. Smiling does something for the body. What it does is it releases the cortisol level of your body, and that's the flight and fright area above your kidneys. And if you smile and you come to people with, with some kind of joy in your heart, what that does is it releases the cortisol and you have lowered the level of cortisol. Cortisol is the thing that gives you the heart attacks. It gives you the problems. It, gives, it exposes you to disease. So now that can be nothing more simple than that. Try to be kind to the people around you. Smile at them. Love them. That's a very good thing to do. Then the other thing you can do for your pancreas, and pancreatic cancer is really on the increase all over the world, Take a walk for 15 minutes. Walk. Put on a pair of shoes and walk. And you can blackmail your lover, your friends, your sister, your whatever. Get them to walk with you. <laughs> a little stroll for 15 minutes. That's all you have to do. And it exercises the heart, which in turn exercises the pancreas, which in turn makes you a healthier person. And if you're a healthier person, then mentally you're a healthier person too. And then when you go home, life is a bit better for you. You know, that's cheap. Perhaps uh, in, in, in closing, you would be willing to talk to us more about your film and holding hands around the world. So when was the film made and... Uh, who was it made by, and so on. Well, uh, what happened with the film was, was something kind of really weird. I was being interviewed on CBC, 
and um, I was being interviewed out of Toronto by Anna Maria Tremonti, who was a wonderful interviewer, a wonderful lady for, you know, for interviewing people. And this man, who was a filmmaker out on the, uh, out on the plains of Winnipeg, he heard the interview and um, he, he almost crashed the car. I was talking, I don't know what he, who he heard in my voice, but anyway, and then he stopped the car. He was going to the studios and he took down my name on a piece of paper, went into the studios and said to the executive, his executive producer in the studios, he said, I just heard a woman speaking on air and her name is Diana Beresford Kroger. And he said, I'd like to do a film with her. And the, 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 the executive producer was Merritt Carr Jensen. And Merritt said to him, well, I know her. She's done a series of, uh, of, of television programs with us. And he said, my God, you do know her? And she said, yes, well, we'll just call her. And I had been asked by lots of people to do different films, and I had refused to do so. Uh-huh. But this man uh, rang a note in me. I... I thought there was something very genuine in him. And so I went for that. And um, uh, I traveled all over the world um, with him. Uh, We got the money together. I wanted it to be a very pristine film. I wanted it to have the sense of, of, you know, a film that hit the heart, a film from the heart to the heart of people. And so I traveled all over North America, uh, the States, into Germany, uh, into into uh, Japan, and indeed in Japan uh, with the Shinto religion, I I had he would be kind of like the Pope of the Shinto religion. Um, I asked him if he would if, if he would, if I could join him for prayers, world peace prayers. One morning he was getting up at four o'clock, and we went up to the top of Mount Kurama where they do all the forest bathing, and that was way, way up to the top. And it was 4 o'clock in the morning, and it's like a little confessional, a little pine confessional he had up there. And he unrolled all the ancient, ancient prayers. And I didn't feel I was worthy enough to go into the little cabin with him, but I knelt on the the steps of the cabin, and I prayed for world prayers with him. Mm -hmm. And some really extraordinary, extraordinary, remarkable things happened up there in the dark. It was just an extraordinary experience, both for him and for me. And I knew those prayers would be answered. And the whole of the day, that following day that I was filming, I was really tired because I had a lot of filming to do. I was on set all day. He, the head of that monastery, came out with his chairs and put a chair down for me everywhere and looked after me. And he said to me, you... So when is the film coming out in uh, in America? In, uh... I would think this coming spring. Wonderful, wonderful. I would think this coming spring, yes. It's being signed, the contracts are being signed right now between the distributors and, and the people in Winnipeg, yeah. Good, and the name of the film? It's Call of the Forest, Call. The Forgotten Wisdom of Trees. Beautiful, beautiful. Yes, of course, of course. And I wear pearls on the, every single set, every single bit of the set, everywhere I wear my pearls. 
and my pearls is a hidden message to women, pearls for girls. Women, we stand together and we speak together to protect our children. Yes, I love pearls. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Diana, would you speak to us about... um Trees holding the dream of the forest. Ah, In the ancient world of Ireland, the Druids, and the Druids were doctors, you realize. They were, the the knowledge about ancient Ireland and the ancient Celtic world is very, is very misaligned. The Druids had taken 14 years to study into medicine, and they were extraordinarily important people that the knowledge was passed from family to family down the line. So the Druids would say, and I was told, that the trees hold the knowledge of the world. And as a scientist, of course, you can do a borehole on a tree and you can get all the knowledge of the world, the knowledge of past climate changes, and all knowledges of trees. But now we're finding that trees actually have glandular tissue in them. We're finding that trees have epinephrine. We're finding that trees have adrenaline. And we're finding trees have serotonin. Serotonin is really the marker of the brain. Mm -hmm. And we find all the serotonin pathways are within trees. The tree's DNA, each cell in each tree has a DNA. And the difference between my DNA and a tree DNA is just only two bases. There's four bases on each ladder of the DNA, but mm-hmm. just two are different on the tree. So a tree is an extraordinary species. It is the largest living species on the planet, the largest by far. And the trees actually do something extraordinary. We've just found this through MIT labs and through labs in, in, in Switzerland um, and in Germany up into to Sweden. Um, what they do is they, re- they, they release um, pollen into the air and they release aerosols. These are the aerosols um, that combine into things called VOCs. And VOCs actually regulate the weather patterns of the world. We didn't know that. For instance, on the east coast or the west coast of, of America, with all these fires, we have now a situation where the land is very dry. And when the land is very dry, something else happens from the leaves. The iron gets liberated from the leaves. The leaves of trees pick up iron from the land, which is rich in iron, and the sea is poor in iron. The great forests regulate the seas also. So when the leaves fall down, they hold iron. And iron passes out through the waterways out into the great oceans. And it is iron in the ocean that is the catalyst for the nitrogenase enzymes in the great columns, feeding columns of algae in the sea. Nocticales, camasiphonales, procacales, all of these species need iron. And they get their iron from the trees. We didn't know that. So then they can divide. And then they can feed all the whales and the great creatures of the oceans. We didn't know that. We do know now that the trees do also a thing called transpiration. And in transpiration, they affect the pressure patterns of the atmosphere itself. And the latent heat of the vaporization of the movement of pulses of pressure causes the wind. 
So we have a full regulation of weather from the trees, from the moisture-laden air that comes up through the hydrological system in the trees, through the xylem and the phloem and the companion cells, out into the atmosphere. And it is the change of pressure, the change of energy pressure, which causes these weather patterns. That's not even keyed into the IPCC systems. We know that now, to the model system, computer model system. They don't have that in there. And the Pocopoles, all of the benthic area up in the north and the boreal north, all underneath, these are the fragments from trees, the last species that are kind of composting in the soils up there, underneath the, the water, underneath the lakes up there. They're now starting to kind of pressurize and produce carbon dioxide and methane with the increased temperature. We didn't know this. We don't know it. We do know it now. We do know now that trees are molecular machines. They are so important. They are vastly important. So we've got to get the global forest put back together and we will be safe into the future. That's the meaning of a tree. That's the meaning of a tree in art. All art. Even ancient art from Palestine. Ancient art of the Judaic system where it was called the tree of life. The tree of life. survive without the Amazon forest? We've got to leave the Amazon forest alone. We don't need more soya beans. Right. So we don't need more steak. No. We don't need more soya beans. We need the Amazon forest. We need that forest. We need the Congo forest. And we need the boreal forest of the north. We need those things. And what we need to address in the future is greed, is one word called greed, G-R-E-E-D. All of the people on earth need to address that word, one word and hold it in their minds and not put up with greed anymore. Say it, say it, say it. Greed, greed, greed. Let's get rid of greed. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm upset. I'm upset. I mean, I love, I love what you're saying, and I, I, I love being with you. But I'm really upset because I, I have children and grandchildren. And do you, do you, do you see that, uh, that the planet, that we will survive as a species on this planet? Yes, yes we will. Yes we will, absolutely we will. Because you look at yourself in the mirror, you look at somebody who is good. I can look in the mirror, I know I try to be good. I'm not the greatest person in the world, but I try to be good. There are many, many people like us. And our voices are not heard, but our voices will be heard. And yes, there is hope. And the children are 
phenomenal. They're fantastic. In New York, in the commons, I packed the commons. I packed them in Tokyo. Yes, they're out there. And by gosh, they're willing to work. And they are phenomenal. Our young children and our young people are just absolute fabulous, fabulous people. So I say, listen to them. Let's do it for them. Let's mentor them. And we do mentor them. And we will mentor them. And yes, of course, there is an answer. And don't be upset because you have a great, great momentum of joy because we will actually make a difference. Yes. We yes, will. we do. We do. Yeah, we do. We do. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, don't, don't allow negativity to come into your head because we're doing it. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> I won't cry. I won't cry anymore. <laughs> Diana, um, tell me what, tell us what would you like to say in closing? I would like to, to put a mantle of temple words on you from the ancient world of Ireland because I'm a Gaelic speaker. And what I am going to say to all of you listening are these following words. And the meaning for this is may it be that God walks with you and may it be that you walk with God. The special word word of Dia means the divine presence, divinity of all kinds in all religions. May that settle on you. And it is called a Shan Fakir. It means that it is an ancient haiku word, an ancient word of wisdom from old Ireland. And it's placed over your shoulders. And I'm placing those words over your shoulders, all of you listening right now, to protect you into the future. And I will say to you in goodbye, Abbasbeg, and may God walk with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm very grateful for your words. <laughs>